Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how to handle tech, electronics. I was talking to my kids today. I'm like, which word would sound more relatable, tech or electronics? Do you know what tech is? And they thought I was trying to be too cool, which I wasn't. I was just trying to come up with the right word for this episode. But tech seems to be the one that we're going to focus on. So anxiety and OCD impact tech use. And when I say tech, I'm talking about any technology. So I'm talking about your child's phone or their iPad or their computer or their game console, just how they get plugged in and how that impacts their anxiety or OCD. Kind of a big topic, really. This, again, is a topic that was offered to me from the members of the AT Parenting community. So shout out to the AT Parenting community for generating a huge list of podcast and YouTube suggestions on topics because I was stumped and I asked the community And I'm going through them systematically. I hope that you guys who are AT Parenting members recognize and can tell these are the topics that we picked because that is a benefit of being a member. And for those of you that are not AT Parenting community members, that will happen. Well, the door will open in the next few months, probably in May. And so if you are not on the wait list, you can go to atparentingcommunity.com and get on the wait list so you get notified when I open up those doors again. So I want to talk about anxiety and OCD and tech use on many different levels. And so just to give you kind of like a snapshot view, we're going to talk about just general issues around technology. We're going to talk about how anxiety and OCD use technology in many different ways, how it impacts and does a little dance with technology, and then how to manage tech use. So that's the overarching agenda for today. Before we get started, though, I do want to say thank you to NoCD. This podcast episode is sponsored by NoCD. And for those of you that haven't heard, NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation. To see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child, go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. I will leave links in the show notes. And also, if you haven't noticed, NoCD is doing, I think it's every other week, they are doing a class in my public Facebook group. And so if you haven't seen that or haven't joined it, I do appreciate them doing that, providing more education and knowledge for free to parents who are raising kids with anxiety or OCD. So they're doing a lot of good work and it makes my job a lot easier when people say, I can't find an OCD therapist. It's night and day now because I can say, have you tried no CD? And a lot of times they'll say no, or they'll say I haven't in a while. And I'll say, go back and try them because they are getting new providers all the time. So it's good to swing back and check in with them if you haven't in a while. Okay, let's talk about this technology. So I do want to start off saying that we are probably the first generation. There's a name, there's a name for it. I'm trying to remember what he calls it. So I have a friend and colleague, Dr. Adam Pletter who has a whole program. I'm going to talk about that at the end. He has a whole program on like how to help navigate through technology with our kids. And he calls us something. I'm trying to remember what he calls us. 
And it's, I don't think it's something that he coined, but it's like, we're really the first generation that has to deal with, you know, raising kids with all this technology that we didn't have. And so this is like uncharted territory. And so a lot of times when I talk to parents and I'm just going to talk in general briefly, and then we'll get into the whole anxiety, OCD aspect of things. But when we are, I'm trying to think of what he calls us. It's going to really bother me. Hold on. Okay, obviously I can't let things go. So I had to go back to his course and look at it. He calls us digital immigrants. And I don't think that it's, I don't think that's something that he coined, but I do feel for that because I know in my practice, there was kind of this, this anti-technology in general from a lot of parents, because we are used to running around and playing outside and, and going and playing with the neighbors until like the streetlights came on. And then we'd come home and we were used to seeing our friends in person. And there is an aspect, and I just want to go through this just briefly because I feel like there has to be a caveat to everything we're going to talk about today, but there has to be on my, in my opinion, some level of acceptance of tech use, that this is the new way and that we can dig our heels in and say, I'm not okay with that. But society has moved on. Our kids have moved on and that's just not realistic. And so we want to think about when we see our kids buried, you know, in, you know, their phone or their computer or their tablet or their iPad. I just want to remind everyone, and obviously you probably already know this, but that that device in general, and this goes for us as well, it is their TV, it is their phone, it is their mail, it is their playground, it is their easel to do art, it is their Atari for those of you, shout out to those of you that are my age, it is their play date, it is their hangout. And so we might see them doing one activity. And we think that's all they're doing is that one activity, but it is all of those things. They could be on the phone. They could be writing a letter like a, they could be in the playground playing with other kids. They could be doing art. They can be hanging out in a virtual room. So I think we just have to accept that aspect as far as, and we're going to move into this as far as how you manage that. And we'll talk about that. That's going to be the second half of this episode. I am always one of those people who say, you do you. And so there's no right or wrong. It's just finding your sweet spot. And we're going to talk about how do you find your sweet spot? Because there are parents who are very open and very tech friendly. And there are parents who are very more managing of their child's tech use. And you have to find your sweet spot for everything, for discipline, for sleep, for eating, for rules, for chores, for technology. I don't think one is more right than the other. You know, I don't think that there is a right way and a wrong way to do most of the things that we're doing as parents, but it's finding what works for you and what works for your child. Okay, I'll get off my little soapbox. Let's talk about how anxiety and OCD use tech. So I'm going to just highlight some areas just to give you some broad stroke understanding of the multitude of ways that we can have a dialogue about tech use. So the first one that I see a lot in the AT parenting community is a lot of talk about avoidance. There's a belief by many parents that their child is avoiding having intrusive thoughts or feelings or dealing with things. And so it's, it's easy to keep their mind busy through avoidance. And that's very common. I wouldn't say sometimes we talk about in the AT parenting community, we talk about, is that a compulsion? Because we talk about how avoidance is a compulsion. 
But when I talk about avoidance being a compulsion, I am talking about, I can't touch red shirts because it reminds me of blood, or I can't touch any of the cups in the house because they're made out of plastic, or I have to avoid looking, you know, in your direction because I might accidentally look at your chest and that would be inappropriate. Those are like very specific avoidant compulsions. That's a compulsion. Now with anxiety, anxiety's biggest meal that grows it is avoidance. That's different than a compulsion. And so anxiety might say, oh my gosh, that party, no way. I have social anxiety. That sounds like a nightmare. I'm going to avoid that. I don't want to you know, do my work, but if I can't do it perfectly, I'm going to just avoid doing my homework for now. So avoidance looks different when we're talking about anxiety versus OCD. It can look different. You can also have a child with OCD who will avoid just situations that they think will be triggering in general. And that's not necessarily a compulsion. That's just like, I'm not going to, it could be a compulsion. If it's like, I can't go to church because it's going to give me intrusive thoughts. That could be, that is a compulsion. I'm going to avoid any religious buildings. But if I'm just going to avoid, you know, going out, I don't, I'm going to just avoid certain things. That's just general avoidance. Like, I just don't want to even stumble into something that might trigger me. Okay. This podcast episode though is not on avoidance, but I just want to kind of dive into that a little bit. And so a lot of the kids that I worked with and my daughter too, has recently shown me that she's got this issue is that they want to keep their brain busy so that they don't have to have anxiety thoughts or OCD thoughts. And so this goes in both categories. I've really tried to make all my episodes as general as I can. And I want to touch on anxiety and OCD so that regardless of whether your child has anxiety or OCD, all my episodes are fruitful and helpful for you. Sometimes we are talking about a very specific anxiety topic or a very specific OCD theme. And in those episodes, I don't generalize because I can't, but this topic I can generalize. I'm going to try to, you know, discuss both of them, but I know I didn't realize that my daughter had so much avoidance until she stopped wanting to take a shower. And, you know, for those that have kids with OCD, your child might refuse a shower for lots of other OCD reasons. And in fact, I did make a YouTube video on how to handle OCD related shower issues. You can go to my YouTube channel, just go to YouTube and then type in Natasha Daniels and my channel will pop up or there's a link in the show notes and you can check out that video. But my daughter wasn't avoiding it for OCD reasons, even though she does have OCD. She also has anxiety. And she said that she didn't want to be in the shower because then her thoughts get loud. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I thought she was just being a typical kid, not wanting to shower. And so then we had to brainstorm that we don't want to avoid our thoughts. And in my practice, I would actually give kids assignments where they had to sit for 30 minutes without anything, you know, not even meditating, just sit so that they had to deal with whatever OCD or anxiety thoughts came to them to learn how to sit with the discomfort that those thoughts bring. So our kids can use technology as a form of avoidance. Now, sometimes we might see them on their technology all the time, and we might think that it's avoidance when it might be typical child or teen behavior. Because if you surveyed the average parent, they're going to say that their child is always on their technology. So it is kind of a generational thing that that is what they do. But when you try to get your child off, and they have anxiety or OCD, and they're using that as a way to not have to deal with their feelings, you might get a bigger pushback. You might get a meltdown. You might get a huge explosion. 
But it also might be that your child doesn't transition well. And so a lot of our kids with anxiety or OCD need a lot of warnings. They need a lot of prep time so that they can like mentally handle that shift from I'm, you know, doing this to I'm now I'm doing a different activity. And this is going to be like a list of different ways that anxiety and OCD can impact technology, just so that you can kind of look at those things. Another one, which is completely separate or different from avoidance is research. So of a huge compulsion that often gets missed is the need to get research. Now this can be an OCD compulsion that I I need to research and research and research, and I'm never satisfied. I have to keep on getting more information. With anxiety, there tends to be more satisfaction, like you found your answer, but it's normally like a really bad answer. (laughs) So you see research with both anxiety and OCD, but they can look a little different. And so I know for me, having a generalized anxiety disorder, you know, I will always find the diagnosis that I have a hunch that I have, (laughs) you know? I will put in, you know, the right things so that it does pop up. You know, I could be like left knee with a bump. Is that cancer? And then I will get all the WebMD articles that say bump on your left knee is definitely a sign of cancer. And then I'll be like, validation. And then I'm done. Now I'm going to just move into my panic mode. I don't need to do any more research because I'm good to go. I have got cancer on my knee. That's anxiety. And so I try to avoid WebMD because normally it's going to tell me I'm going to die or I'm going to have a heart attack. (laughs) One of those. With OCD, research is different. You're never finding that satisfaction. So like with my anxiety, like once I get that validation that my worst fear is valid and is going to come true, according to WebMD, I'm good to go. Now I can, I don't need my technology. I can sit and like freak out. But with OCD, it's, it's never satisfied. So you might get an answer that makes you feel better for a little while. And then you have to research it again and again. And so sometimes our kids are on technology because they're over-researching. So it is a good thing, depending on your philosophy in your house, everybody's different, but looking at browser history. Now in my house, and I'm going to tell you what we do in my house, and by no means does that mean that you should do it in your house. I have a very respectful approach to parenting as a child therapist, and I don't like to preach to parents. I think we got a lot on our plate and we don't need to be told what to do. I can tell you what will really help with anxiety or OCD because that is, that's a little bit different. I can be like, this will really help. I mean, research supports this, but when it comes to your parenting, you do you, I do me. And just because I do this doesn't mean that what you do is wrong or vice versa. It just means that we have different perspectives or different philosophies and that's okay. I think in this world, especially today, we need more acceptance for our differences that you can do you and I can do me and it's okay. We don't have to agree on everything. And I especially feel that way when we're talking about technology, ironically. There's like certain hot topics. I feel like technology is one of them. Sleep and how parents handle sleep, like just general discipline and how parents handle discipline. What else? I know I feel like I'm missing one. Food. And that's, that is just parenting that we're not even talking about the other, oh, breastfeeding, right? <laughs> it's like, we can't cut a break. It's like, can't we just all have our different opinions? Okay. I'll get off on that soapbox, but I forgot what I was going to say now. I just went on such a rampage <laughs> about kumbaya. Let's all just be okay with it. That I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, browser history. <laughs> there was a reason why I was talking about this because in my house, when I've introduced technology to my kids, 
I have been very clear that there is no privacy. Now, for any of you who have listened to my podcast and have followed me, you know that my husband, who has passed away, was an FBI agent, and he he worked in cyber crimes, children cyber crimes. That wasn't really good for my anxiety or my parenting because I got a front row seat to the worst of the worst, child pornography and all sorts of you know child crimes, child internet crimes was not not a good thing to fill my brain on. But unfortunately, it's already there. And so that doesn't mean I'm not going to let my kids have technology. And ironically, my husband, when he was alive, was actually pretty like, I think he was like less, he was less strict than I was about it. He was less worried than I was, which I thought was really weird. But I told my kids, you know, whatever you put out there in the world digitally, I will be able to see. I will see. Because if if you're putting it out there digitally, I don't care if it's a private message or a text or an invisible message that gets deleted or your browser history of where you're going, that's not private. And they knew from their dad's work, you know, that that stuff wasn't private. He was able to get a lot of information about what people were looking at on the internet because it's trackable, you know? And so, so I would, I check my kids' browser histories. I check what they're searching. I check their texts. I check their phones, but I don't do it behind their back. We have a very open communication in this house. And I say, before I gave them their phone or their computer or their iPad, and we, we are very tech friendly and we're a tech heavy family. I'll admit that. And we'll talk about that in a second. But I said, whatever you type, I want you to know that I can see. And I'm not going to sneak around and look at your phone or look at your browser history. I want you to know that periodically I'm going to be checking it. And at night, I want you to put your phone or your iPad or whatever it is in the charging station in the kitchen. And, it, and that's where it is. They use their iPads for sleep. And so that actually doesn't happen. They wind up with their iPads in the past, I've had to lock their iPads. We'll talk all about all this kind of stuff in the as we move on. But when they go to school, periodically, I'll check their browser history because I want to know. Now, that's not just for, you know, like, oh my gosh, that's inappropriate. Why are you looking at that? Also, like, I want to know what they're typing. You know, what is blah, blah, blah. And that will really help you if they have some compulsive researching. You should see that in the browser history. And you can make a rule with them that you're not allowed to delete your browser history. And if and if they do, then, you know, we're going to have to maybe have a time period where they don't use their technology at all. So anyway, that's a bit of a tangent because I want to get into that when we talk about how to manage tech use. But researching is something that we can keep tabs of, and it might actually even help educate us on what our child is worrying about or what they're checking. Now, another area that it can actually impact is social anxiety. And so, you know, the FOMO, the fear of missing out. And so constantly, you know, hearing the chat that's going on with your friends or seeing and not being part of things that are going on on TikTok or, you know, Instagram or, you know, they'll be the latest and greatest in that this whole podcast will sound really outdated, but whatever it is can really increase social anxiety because they can feel like they're being missed out. It can make them feel judged a whole bunch of things with social anxiety. And the last thing is, and this is not at all like complete or comprehensive. There can be a multitude of things that impact technology, anxiety, and OCD. These are just a few, just to give you an idea, give you a taste of the different ways anxiety and OCD can intermingle with any technology. But I have seen a lot of compulsions directly related to, to technology. And this could be compulsions about 
turning on and turning off their phone or cleaning their phone, refreshing. I've seen a lot of like compulsive rituals where like they had to do a whole bunch of different things before they went to bed to shut off their phone. I've seen a lot of intrusive thoughts around technology, intrusive thoughts about worrying about a virus happening, intrusive thoughts about what they post getting out into, you know, them being canceled or being misconstrued. I've seen intrusive thoughts about them being recorded when they're playing games or saying something. And so there can be a lot of compulsions based around their technology. I mean, OCD especially likes to tackle the things that kids like the most. And so sometimes it winds up being their game console is contaminated, or there are a lot of rituals around the stuff that are important to them. So that's just a little snapshot of different things, because you really want to be aware of how anxiety and OCD can use the technology that your kids are using or love and make it upsetting for them. Okay, so let's get to the second point, which is, okay, how to manage tech use. And most of, the, most of the questions from the AT parenting community really weren't about all the other stuff that I just talked about, like the research or the compulsions. It was just like, my child's on technology too much. How do I manage that? <laughs> kind of a normal parenting question. But I think for, for those of us that are raising kids with anxiety or OCD, we might perceive, or it might be reality, depending on your child, that they really are just avoiding life. They're plugged in 24-7. And maybe we feel like they wouldn't be plugged in 24-7 if it weren't for the fear of having their anxious thoughts or their intrusive thoughts or feelings. So some ways to manage it. For starters, you kind of want to understand what would be your normal parental approach. You know, first you want to get a baseline. Maybe you don't even know what your parental approach would be. It is good to know what is my philosophy on technology in general? What is my core fear? (laughs) To talk about your core fear, what's your main concern with technology? And it will be different for each one of you, but you want to tap in. Like, I want my child to be physical or active, or I don't want my child to be staring at a screen. And then you have to ask yourself too, like, why does that bother you? What is it about that that bothers you? And I'm not saying that because you're wrong. I'm saying because when you're developing how you're going to manage the tech use in your house, you want to know what it is exactly that you want to have happen, right? So I don't want you to be on technology. I want you to be doing A, B, or C. And what is my concern about it? Because I think all too often, we don't know why technology bothers us, but we see our kids buried, their heads are buried into their devices and we get like a, just a guttural response of, guttural response? I don't know if that sounds right, but we get like this just response of no, (laughs) right? Like this response, this just knee-jerk response of that's not okay. Oh, you know, your head is in your device again. That's not okay. And it just bothers a lot of us and we don't know why. And we want to discover why, not with your child, but explore this in your head. Why does that bother me? And yes, it doesn't mirror your childhood, but what else does it bother? Like, are they not getting anything done? So I'll give you some examples. Maybe they're unproductive. So it bothers you because you see them being unproductive. Maybe they used to go outside a lot or they used to do more physical activities. Maybe they were never physical and you blame technology for that. Or maybe you want them to be social and you don't, you feel like when they're, when their head is in a device, they're not being social. Maybe you feel like they're not spending enough family time. Maybe you're worried about their health. You feel like, you know, that's not healthy for their brain or for their eyes. 
whatever. It doesn't matter. But you want to tap into what those things are for you so that when you're coming up with a plan, you can come up with a solid plan of what they could be doing instead or what things would make you feel okay. Because just getting angry about it isn't helpful for anybody, right? And there are a lot of things our kids do that just trigger us. There are things that my kids do that just irritate me for no reason. I have to explore, why does that bother me? You know, they're not doing anything to harm me. And I'm not talking about technology right now. I'm just saying in general. And I have to explore that. And I'd be like, you know, he can do that. He's allowed to do that. Yeah, it annoys me. Oh my gosh, side note. We went to the movies yesterday and I cannot, I will not sit next to my son anymore. I'll have to have him sit next to my daughter, but I think he'll drive her crazy too. He does a lot of stuff that annoys me. While I'm in the middle of watching a movie, he like drinks his soda so fast that he's like slurping it. And then that's not enough. And I'll be like, if you slurp again, I'm going to take your soda away. (laughs) And it happens every time we go to the movies. Then he pops off his lid and he's eating, crushing the ice as we're watching the movie. And then he can't sit still. And so he's kind of like bouncing his legs and his feet and he's taking his shoes off. Oh my gosh, he's driving me nuts. That's partially a me problem, partially a him problem. I mean, you got to calm down in the movies. But sometimes our kids just do things that bother us. And I do feel like I've seen in my practice, seeing your child on technology can just be like a bo- like a knee-jerk bother. It can just make your skin crawl. And not all, all of us have that reaction. I don't. It doesn't bother me. But I do know that a lot of parents, it does bother. And so you have to tap into why that is so that you understand it. Okay. So then you want to, in general, manage the boundaries. So what will that look like for you? I feel like if you start to talk to your child and say, you know, I feel like you're on a lot of technology. I'm going to say technology so that I'm being more general and I'm like talking to everybody. So if your child's got their head buried in a phone and your child has their head buried in a game console, we can all talk about this on the same level. But if you're seeing that and you approach your child and you say, I really feel like you're avoiding your anxiety or OCD. I feel like you're using your technology to avoid your issues. You're just going to get into a battle. You're not going to get a child who's like, you know, mom, or you know, dad, you're right. Thank you for that. That was really, you know, that was really insightful of you. And you're right. Let's, let's make a plan to limit my anxiety, my, my tech time so that I'm a better person. You're not going to get that. And you don't want to, I always talk to the AT parenting community and I always say like, you have you have a bank account when you use, you know, when you talk about anxiety or OCD, you're, you're withdrawing from your bank account and what you put in the deposits are like the trust and the communication and your relationship. And then you have to withdraw and talk about your anxiety or OCD with them, their anxiety or OCD. And for some kids, it's a very big withdrawal and some kids it's a small withdrawal, but it is a withdrawal from the bank account. And so you don't want to withdraw anything from your bank account when you're talking about tech. You don't, don't combine it. That would be my advice, unless you're actually talking about compulsions or like excessive research or things that they're, or their social anxiety, the things that I listed that are really directly related to their anxiety or OCD. If you feel like they are just using their technology just as pure avoidance, you would probably be shooting yourself in the foot. This is just my opinion. Your child might be different. So, you know, take it with, with a grain of salt. But I feel like you might be shooting yourself in the foot by saying, I feel like you're doing this because of your anxiety or OCD. You're going to get like big, big roar back. And then they're not going to want to talk to you about their anxiety or OCD as much because now you're like, you're going to use that to take away the things they love. And so be careful about that. But that doesn't mean that you can't set some boundaries. And so making clear rules and clear boundaries can be very helpful. 
So what will that look like for you? One of the things that can kind of be one of my pet peeves, to be honest with you, is when parents complain about their child's over tech use, but then say they don't know what to do about it. And it's like, well, now you're really just, you know, you're just upsetting yourself. So if them using their tech time all the time is upsetting you, they're not going to necessarily manage themselves. And so if you're going to allow it to bother you, then you want to do something about it, right? And some people say, I don't know what to do about it. I mean, I can't control that. Well, there is always ways to control these things. So you have to first decide what it is. What's your vision of it? What do you want it to look like? And you do have to get specific, regardless of how old they are. Do you envision that they are only on their technology for one hour a day? And is that developmentally practical or appropriate? If they're 17, is that appropriate? I don't know. I mean, I think the average 17-year-old is going to be on their device for a lot longer than that. And now a lot of them are doing their schoolwork on it and all sorts of stuff. So it makes it even more complicated. But if you have a four or five-year-old, that's going to look very different than a 17 or 18-year-old, right? So developmentally, it will matter. But everyone who's listening is going to have a different answer to this. And so then you want to say, this is what I want it to look like. And then how do I get it to look like that? Is it practical? Is it possible? And if you feel like there's no way you can do it, then you have to either look at your methods or is it worth it? And this, the answers are going to be different for each person. Do I have to shift to an acceptance mode if I'm going to not do anything about it? Because I don't want to deplete my energy. Every time I see you on a device and I think, oh my gosh, he's on his phone again. That's so rude. I hate it. He's always on his phone. But then I feel like there's nothing I can do about it. All the steps that other people suggest, I think, no, I can't do that. I'll get really mad or I can't do that because of da, da, da. No, I can't do that. Well, then you're burning yourself up. I don't know. That's not like the right sentence, but you're wasting your energy and your frustration on something that you are not going to change or you feel like you can't change. So I think, you know, I think we get what I'm saying here. So in my house, and again, it doesn't have to be your house. I am pretty flexible. I do feel that on some level, my kids do use it as an escape. Is that necessarily a bad thing? In my opinion, for my kids, not yours, you do you, I'm okay with that. You know, they work really hard. They go to school. Their anxiety and OCD travels with them in their backpack. They struggle throughout their day. You know, my son deals with bullying all the time and his OCD and his social anxiety. And my youngest, just to get her to school, used to be so hard. So the fact that she's able to go to school is huge. They lost their dad last year. I'm okay. And my, and my husband, prior you know, to him dying, was a big tech guy. I mean, not only was he on you know, the cyber squad, and so like his tech skills were crazy good. Um, that's what he did for a living. But also, he was a gamer. He played games. So he'd come home and he would play video games like 24 seven. And he was on his phone playing candy crush and he, he did him. I couldn't, I wasn't going to tell him what to do. You know, he could do him. He worked really hard. And if that's what he enjoyed doing, that was fine with me. So I'm okay with my kids using their iPad as a way to de-stress. And what I notice on their iPads is they're not just staring at one thing. They are watching TV and then My daughter is doing a lot of art on her iPad. She's playing word games on her iPad. She is chatting sometimes, not much. She's not very social, 
but sometimes chatting with somebody like a, you know, and I have watched that very closely. So she may be her best friend, but very, very infrequently. And sometimes she's making funny videos and she's sometimes she's uh, creating animation. And so just because I see her staring at her iPad doesn't mean she's doing one thing the entire time. She's doing many things. And my son, he likes his VR, which is kind of a new thing in the last year. And his social anxiety has improved so much, ironically, since he got the VR, because he is playing interactive games with kids. And I can hear him talking, I'm like monitoring it, but he's playing games with kids and he has learned social skills. He has learned how to handle digs. Kids are really mean to each other. And that used to set him off at school. Like that would get him into trouble because when he was really little and someone would say something mean, he would go berserk and he was an easy target and still sometimes continues to be an easy target until we got VR. And now he's playing like gorilla tag and he's talking to people and he's listening to them all like, you know, kids can be really mean to each other. They just like dig on each other and burn each other. And he's watching other kids like not get upset by it or, you know, just have a one line comeback and then move on. And he has been able to really handle himself better in real life because of it, which I think is crazy and impressive. It's also actually helped his social skills in real life. So even though it seems like a bad thing, it has been incredibly helpful for him because he's actually, and he's, he said, I'm learning how to like make friends and I'm learning how to talk to kids without them knowing who I am. And so it's easier. And that translates into real life. But that's my kids, right? You might have a totally different view and how your kids are using it may not be helpful, but setting up limits. So in my house, there are limits, not many, because I told you we're like pretty high on the tech, we're tech heavy side of things, but it doesn't matter what your philosophy is. You might just say, I only want my kids to have maybe like 20 minutes a day. And that's fine. It's just finding what your boundaries are and then saying, okay, how am I going to enforce them? How am I going to communicate them to my kids? And then carry it on from there. So for my kids, there really were no rules except for me monitoring everything they do and them knowing that I'm going to see everything. And we have like restrictions on their iPads and stuff like that. There weren't many rules. We have a bedtime. And so they know that when I say it's time to get off or it's bedtime, they get off. And I find that My daughter, like, she will have her iPad on and she'll be like doing like real art. You know, she'll be like, not real art, because my older daughter does beautiful digital art, but she likes painting. So she might have a canvas out. You know, she's, she might go sit outside, you know, and so I'm not really concerned with her. But my son's very heavy into the VR. He's, you know, but he also makes jewelry and he has a jewelry store on Etsy. But when you, when you decide what those boundaries are, then you convey them to your kids. And so, Recently, my kids were just so slow in the morning. And so I said, you know what? No iPad in the morning. Now, for some of you, it might even seem ridiculous that there is iPad in the morning, but you know, we all have our own thing. And so I said, no iPad in the morning. And I honestly thought I was going to have like a mini riot. I was like nervous to do it because I thought I'm going to get so much pushback in the morning. And the mornings are stressful for my kids anyway. You know, my daughter has metaphobia and my son never wants to go to school because of his social anxiety. And so I was taking away what I think is a coping mechanism. And my son has ARFID. And so he has had to watch his iPad in the past and even like currently while he eats as a distraction, which is not a good thing. But I allowed it because he was losing so much weight. 
And he had so many issues that I thought if he can get his mind off of it while he's eating and he's getting calories into him, I'm fine with that. But took the iPads away because I thought, why not, right? It'll make the morning go smoother. And so I said, no iPads in the morning. And eventually I said, if you're done with absolutely everything, you can have your iPad. You know, I thought maybe that'd motivate them to, you know, get busy. And I didn't get a lot of pushback. I mean, it was really weird. They would tell on each other, mom, he's got his iPad. And then I'd be like, don't tattletale. Cause I really encouraged like, you know, you guys are supposed to be in cahoots against me. <laughs> I want to foster their sibling, you know, connivingness, like, you know, have each other's back. Don't tell on him. Like he's on your team, but they didn't give me a lot of pushback. And I'm finding that I still have to be like, Hey, put your iPad down. No iPad, you know, in the mornings, but there was no revolt. And so that's a rule now. It is what it is. If it became a problem this year, for some reason, they don't have a lot of homework. I don't know why. Like they have no homework. They do it all at school. I'm appreciative of it because we've been through a lot with my husband and everything. And so I really like the break. I'm not a fan of homework anyway, but they come home and they get to relax. They have a lot of therapy appointments, my kids. And so, you know, they're doing a lot of like appointments after school and there's choir and there's different things. So those are our only two rules. It is if we're eating dinner at the dinner table, which has kind of fallen to the wayside since my husband died, there was a rule when my husband was alive and we would have a dinner at the table and there was no electronics at the table, including us. We're not going to be hypocrites, right? And so that was a rule and we follow those rules. We have rules about no technology at like a restaurant. We don't bring technology into a restaurant. So we have rules in, in my house that are like our family family cultural rules. And by cultural, I mean like my family dynamic, me and my three kids. Like what's our culture? Our culture, our family culture is to, when we go on vacation, we all de-stress with our iPads, every single one of us, including myself. And so to say no iPads on a vacation, we have traveled with relatives where they say no iPads on vacation. And for us, that does not work because we all relax. I like to watch Netflix. My kids like to watch their shows, like that's how we relax. And so you take that away and my family gets upset <laughs> because we're like, that's how we relax. You do you, we do us. So find out your rules and set those boundaries. You can get very fancy. You can create a tech contract. And my colleague, Dr. Adam Pletter, I talked about him at the beginning of this episode. He does that. That's what he does. That's his work. He has a whole course called iParent 101. And it's parenting in the digital world, proactive parenting support in a world of digital dysregulation and addiction. And so if you're worried about addiction and you're worried about setting boundaries and contracts and you don't know how to go about it, he actually offers a course that I took and I walked through it and it's really helpful. He like creates the contract. He also talks about how to approach your kids. He talks about how to navigate, he talks about safety issues. And he also gives you a lot of good hacks on how to monitor your child's activities and to some safety, safety issues. And I learned a lot of, I didn't know you could lock. I learned a lot of weird hacks that maybe a lot of people already know, but I didn't know that you can lock an iPad on one app. And so that was a super cool little hack that he taught me was, so when my kids are listening to their guided meditation and their music to go to sleep, or now we moved into like my son listens to like binaural beats. So like just some sound, sound music to help the brain waves calm down. I can lock it on that app. So he can't open his iPad without my password. So he can have his iPad 
and he can have that app open, but he can't access anything else. And I like that. We don't have to do that anymore. But when I find, I used to find him up at like two or three in the morning playing on his iPad. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is about trust. And we talked about trust and communication and how like his trustometer just went way down because <laughs> that's how we talk about trust in my house. You lie. It doesn't matter what you lie about. If you lie about like brushing your teeth or being on your iPad, to me, a lie is a lie. And now I can't trust really anything you say. And you don't want that to happen. So you can check out his course. I will leave a link in the show notes and you can go check that out if you're interested in really diving deep and getting a contract and learning all those hacks on how to keep your kids safe. Some other things I would say is you can always manage it through the router. So if you're worried about getting into a physical altercation with your child, like, oh my gosh, I can't take his iPad away. Like we will physically get into it. You want to avoid, in my opinion, anything that involves you taking it away. And so it's nicer. And a lot of technology has incorporated this into its own technology that you can put parental limits on it. And so I know, I think the iPad has parental limits that you can set on there. I wonder if game consoles have that where you can just have it automatically shut off at certain times. And even my router has an app and I don't know if yours does, but I use Cox, which I think is a Southwest thing. So Cox communication, you probably have your own cable communication, but on their app, I actually can go and temporarily shut off access on certain devices which makes it really easy because I don't even have to shut off the router and impact my life. You can label certain devices. I can, you know, my son's device or his like, you know, computer or whatever. And then you can just flip it off for that period of time. I believe even like phone plans have things like that, where you can go into your phone plan and just turn off the phone without having to grab the phone. We really want to avoid the tug, the the physical altercation of pulling the phone out of our kid's hand or taking the computer away because they will find you know ways to get that stuff back. So even if you just unplug your router, which parents will say, but I have to work and I can't do that, then contact your cable company and see if they have the thing that I'm talking about. Because I know my cable company does and may, maybe others do as well. So that's an option. The other thing that I'll say just to wrap this up a little bit is during the summer months, I felt like my kids were on technology too much because we were just pretty relaxed this past summer. And when it's 24 seven, my kids still have a bedtime. So I'm very strict with the bedtime because I feel like routine is really important for anxiety or OCD. Not everybody feels that way and that is okay. But I know when I was a child, like I just collapsed wherever I like got tired and that's where I slept. We had a very different childhood than the ones that I am, that I am having for my kids or the one that I'm having for my kids, the one childhood. But I do have a bedtime. I like structure in my day. I think that helps their anxiety or OCD. And so they don't have to get up at a certain time during the summer, but they do have to go to bed at a certain time. It's later, but there's still a bedtime. There's still a bedtime routine, a check-in. You're going to sleep. We're still doing that in the summer. But the entire day they were plugged in, that was starting to bother me because when I did my own work of like, what's my core fear? Like what is driving my discomfort about them being on technology? I felt like a bad mom. <laughs> it was about me. I felt like a bad mom. When I would see them with their head down, like all day long, I felt, I felt like a bad mom. So it made me feel bad. I didn't like that. I didn't want to feel bad. And so 
It's okay. It's like, be honest with yourself. What is it about it that's upsetting you? It was purely about me. Felt like the wrong thing to do. And I don't know why, I just did. And so we created that. I created this thing called Unplugged Activity. And so for an hour, twice during the day. So we did, I think, one at like 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. I can't remember. And then one at like three, we would do Unplugged Activity. And so instead of me saying it, our Echo or Alexa would announce it and would say, it is time for your unplugged activity. And in the beginning of the summer, we all got together and we said, what activities can you do that are unplugged? And we made a huge list. And some of the things on there, my daughter would do, some they would both do, some my son would do. I did not do this with my 18-year-old, who was 17 at the time, because she is learning to be a young adult and she's responsible. She gets good grades. She, I want to pull back that micromanaging as my kids get older. But my other ones are 10 and 12. They were nine and 11 at the time. And so we want to train them to do these things. And so we did unplugged activity. And if they didn't listen to Echo and go into their unplugged activity, and I would pin the list of unplugged activities onto the refrigerator. They were activities, not that mom thinks it's a great idea. It was activities that they picked and they chose. And so we did the work proactively to come up with a list of what are activities that you really will do. Let's not put things on there that just sound good. What things will you do? Let's make a list. And if you have to have different lists for different kids, that's fine too. And then when you hear that it's an unplugged activity hour, which is not surprising, it's the same two hours each day, then you need to go and pick an activity. Now, sometimes we would be out doing something and we'd come back and I'd say, do we have to do an unplugged activity? We were just out for three hours. And I'd say, that's fine. We don't have to. So I was flexible. We want to teach flexibility with our kids. If we're rigid with our rules, you know, we're not really modeling flexibility. And so, but I didn't do it with my older one because I'm really wanting to foster independence. I don't want to babysit her. I want to teach her that she could think for herself because she is doing well. And and that's an option too. Maybe you want to do unplugged activities or an unplugged activity hour or hours throughout your day on the weekends, or maybe you do it during the week, you know, or maybe you have a plugged in, you know, a plugged in activity instead. So conversely, they get like one hour of plugged in time. It doesn't matter. I think what does matter is one, that you have a plan, two, that you communicate that with your child or your teenager. And three, you have a way to carry it out. If you don't have the third part, you have a problem because then you're going to get really upset with your child for them not listening. And it's our job to have a plan on how we're going to carry that out. And if you can't have a solid plan, then you want to not have the rule because it's just going to water down your effectiveness because you're not carrying through with what you say. And the one thing that I will say that I am strong about is be consistent. I don't care what you do because that's you, you do you, but whatever you do, just be consistent. And that doesn't mean that you have to be consistent every time because we were just talking about flexibility. It just means be consistent with what you say. And so if I say, you know, today we're going to do two unplugged activities, we're not doing anything today and that's what we're doing, then it would be inconsistent of me to say, you know, when they say, no, mom, I re- I'm just in the middle of this. I just need to. And I'm saying, you know what? Forget it. Either I say, oh, honey, don't worry about it. Okay, no unplugged activity, but you do have to do the other one. Or I say, fine, you know, I'm fed up. I don't need to, you know, have to deal with this and just fine, stay on it. I don't care. Either way, right? One is a little bit more like authoritative and the other one is a little bit more 
coddling, right, to extremes in parenting. But either way, it's not good because we're not being consistent with, with our word. So if I say, go do something, and then I just don't follow through, whether it's because, you know, I feel bad or it's because I am like so exhausted that I get frustrated, in general, that will kind of undermine your own parenting. And so that is the one thing that I say is whatever you're going to do, just try to be consistent with it. And that doesn't mean that you have to do it every day. It just means that when you say something, you're consistent with following through. So if I say today, we're going to go to the zoo for three hours, so we'll have no unplugged activity in the afternoon, I'm still being consistent because I'm already, I'm preemptively saying we're not going to have our unplugged activity. So we want to be really clear with our boundaries, with our expectations, and with our follow through, regardless of whether we're talking about tech use or any other use. And that, that would be it. So if you want a deeper dive, I will leave links to the iParent course, which will actually like walk you through what a contract would look like, what like a family meeting would look like. It goes into all sorts of things and hacks on how to make things safe. And so definitely check that out or do some of your mental work. Technology for me isn't a problem because it's a big part of our life. And when I see it getting out of control, I check in with myself and I say, why is this out of control? What is the core problem here? What am I worried about? And then I readapt. I make a new plan on what I want it to look like. And then I set those rules for my kids and I set a plan on how I'm going to follow through with that. And that's that. And so I know I'm making it simpler than it is because a lot of you are like, that's all they have. A lot of it is doing our own work of where are we comfortable, finding that sweet spot of where we're comfortable. And then if we're not, What are we going to do about it? So I do hope that you find these episodes helpful. I hope that you found this episode helpful and definitely check out the resource. I will link a link below so that you can dive further on this topic. If you are enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google play or wherever you consume your podcasts. If you want to leave a comment to show other parents that you find this episode helpful, not this episode, but this podcast helpful, you know, I greatly appreciate that. And to show my appreciation, I try to end, if I have any new ones, reading one of them. I want to thank Shiny Fam for writing a review. And she wrote, brilliant advice for parents of kids with anxiety or OCD. We don't have a diagnosis of OCD for my son, but thanks to Natasha's podcast, his many quirks now make sense. I couldn't put my finger on what was going on with my son, but these podcasts have provided so much solid advice on the different ways that OCD can present, the language to use with doctors and therapists and what we can do at home to support him. I feel less overwhelmed with the journey ahead, knowing that there is a reason behind the behavior and there are things we can do to help. Natasha's generosity in sharing her expertise is literally changing our family. I can't thank her enough. Oh, I appreciate that. And that's kind of the goal of my show is really to just get in there and give you the information so that you can help your kids directly and you don't waste time while you're waiting for a provider or because you don't have the knowledge. So I thank you very much for leaving that review. And maybe if you leave a review, I'll be reading yours next time. I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.